Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Money Wise with Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group, your financial and retirement guide. And thanks so very much for making us a part of your Sunday morning. You know, the mission of USA Wealth is to help you protect your family and protect your money. Ray, good morning. Good Sunday morning, Phil. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody out there listening today who's married, thinking of getting married, planning to get married? Today we're going to talk about weddings and getting married and the, uh, the state of the institution. Oh. And uh, as one of the quotes I'm going to give you shortly, we'll uh, show you shortly. Some people think of it as really being an institution. <laughs> but uh, good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to talk about weddings. We're going to talk about the history of marriage. We're going to talk about the important money talk we're going to talk about prenuptial agreements, different types of wedding. How do you pay for your wedding? Who should pay for the wedding? Who should pay for what part of a wedding? <laughs> what kind of a wedding do you want to have? And do you have a wedding budget, for example? We're also going to talk about something called the marriage penalty. Phil, what do you think the marriage penalty is? Having a brutal wife. Well, that's part of it. <laughs> I suppose a lot of women would say the same Having thing. Having a brutal husband. <laughs> no, actually, it's a tax penalty called the marriage penalty. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then finally, we're going to talk about rules for financial engagement. People ought to talk about money. The number one reason that people have disagreements in marriage, the number one reason for divorce, is financial issues. Sure. And the, the way to avoid that, uh, frankly, is... Well, make a lot more money for one thing. <laughs> but no, you really need to talk about money. You can't have one person right. who's a saver and who's thrifty and the other person who's a spender. Uh, you've got conflict. So let's get started. You know, somebody said once that if there's one thing better than marrying a millionaire, it's divorcing him. <laughs> and uh, there was a lady named Ilka Chase who said, on the whole, I haven't found men unduly loath to say, I love you, the real trick is to get them to say, will you marry me? Aha! So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some interesting things. And we're going to talk about money and how money relates to marriage and weddings because this is a show that we call Money Wise. And so marriage and weddings are an important part of your finances, aren't they? Yes. There's a French proverb that says, Love makes passion, but money makes marriage. Love that one. French proverb. So let's talk a little bit about the history of weddings and marriage. I mean, why do people get married in the first place? Uh, well, in ancient times, uh, we learned that weddings were really based out of a need for exchanging goods and services and commodities more than desire or love. In fact, the word wedding, for example, implies a security uh, that the groom's family provides to the family of the bride when the couple marries. The other thing that's interesting is in ancient times, a woman was considered to be the property of her father. That's not the case today, obviously, but um, that had a lot to do with the tradition of giving away the bride, for example. The father was literally giving away something of value, his daughter, mm -hmm. who could perform services for him. And that's why we had dowries, for example. There had to be something given back to the father for uh, giving away the uh, bride or the other way around sometimes also. But in any event, at, at the beginning of this 
country, weddings were usually small family gatherings in people's houses and things of that nature. Uh, ceremonies weren't elaborate compared to way, the way they are today. Sometimes they took place in church on a Sunday, um, right after a, a Sunday service. And weddings really didn't become elaborate in this country until the 1820s and the 1830s. And at that time, uh, the upper-class couples would have ceremonies similar to what we have today. So it wasn't really until, uh, for example, the 19th century in this country that brides started buying specific dresses made just for the wedding day. And if you think about it, how often do you wear a wedding dress? Mm-hmm. Once. That's Hopefully. And you can't wear the same wedding dress twice, I suppose, because that would be bad luck, wouldn't it? I think it is. You know, Tenny recently took her wedding dress out of the closet after, I can't even tell you how many years. I guess I have to figure that out at some point in time. And it was all faded and yellowed and ready to fall apart. And I'm not sure why people save these things, but it's not going to have any further value. She did try to see if she could fit into it, um, but... She was fairly slim when that happened. She's fairly trim and slim right now, but, you know, things change. Phil, tell me to stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) How do I get out of this one? Let me do a commercial (laughs) for USA. (laughs) Well, one thing that is happening today is that a lot of couples are waiting much later in life to get married. Uh, The average age for males right now is 27. Uh, The average age for women is 25. And um, yeah. and for many people, it's much older. Did you ever hear the expression, uh, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue? Sure. And a silver sixpence inside your shoe. I didn't know that. Nobody's heard that part of it. No. That goes back to the Victorian era in England. And the bride um, had to accessorize her wedding dress in order to find ways to promote good luck in her new marriage. But somewhere along the line, we've dropped the silver sixpence inside your shoe. Hmm. That's what the father of the bride pays. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Hmm. In any event, um, people typically today have wedding showers, bridal showers, to exchange gifts, or not exchange gifts, but to give gifts to the couple or to the woman who's getting married. And it's much more common today to, uh, for example, have a bridal registry. So how do you not give away the same gift over and over and over again. Well, people register for gifts now. But um, going back to the ceremony of giving the bride away, um, centuries ago, fathers actually did give their daughters away to future husbands because they were considered to be the property of the fathers. And in Roman era, going back to weddings and even ancient Roman times, a kiss was typically used to seal legal contracts and legal bonds. And that's the origin, supposedly, of why people kiss after a wedding service. It's to seal the contract hmm. and seal the bond. And I bet you didn't know that wedding cakes were typically seen as a symbol of fertility. No. So we think of these elaborate wedding cakes that people spend ridiculous amount of monies for, but they, it really originated as a way to ensure Fertility for the bride. I'm not sure what was in it unless it was a rum cake or (laughs) something of that nature. And honeymoons. Do you know where the expression of the honeymoon came from? That came out of uh, Germany and Germanic weddings. And what would happen, and this is really interesting, 
A married couple would drink mead, M-E-A-D, for 30 days after their wedding. It's a form of ale. It's a fermented liquor, basically. And weddings were only held on a night when there was a full moon. And then they drank honey wine for a month, full 30 days, until the next full moon. And then that was called the honeymoon, hmm. uh, the month after the, the wedding. So unusual traditions and interesting traditions. But we want to focus on money. Right. And we're going to talk about some money-wise issues. Well, I guess I want to tell you one other thing that I just realized. that In uh, Jewish weddings, it's been traditional that both the bride and the groom are walked down the aisle by both of their parents, uh, which is different from other religions. Mm-hmm. So there are obviously many different kinds of wedding ceremonies. Uh, one of the articles that I researched and found out said, don't spend all your money on a big elaborate wedding, which is typically what people want to do because they have to do it. But if you put that same amount of money into a retirement account, for example, and let it accumulate, and you spend thirty dollars or $35,000 on a wedding, sure. which many people do, by the time you reach retirement age, you're going to have about $1.6 million goodness. in a retirement account. Wow. So just think about that when you're spending money on a wedding. Oh, my God. But traditional and formal weddings are the most common kind of wedding today in this country. Um, many people use their church as a place for the ceremony or their synagogue or their temple, whatever it happens to be. And uh, destination weddings are more popular today. There's a lot of pros and cons about destination weddings. It's fun. It's interesting. It's different. And it costs a fortune for mm-hmm. the guests to get there. You bet. And so you better plan on a smaller wedding if you're going to do that because a lot of people just don't have the extra money to go off That's to a destination right. wedding in Mexico or, or someplace. Military we- uh, weddings are kind of interesting too. If um, somebody, a bride or a groom, is a member of the armed services, they might want to have a military wedding. And by the way, you can save some money if you do that. And you can have your cross swords when the couple marches out of the church. Um, And the cheapest wedding of all is called uh, the elopement, (laughs) or going to a justice of the peace. And I have somebody in my family that did that recently. It was a second marriage for both of them, and they chose to get married um, in Las Vegas. Really? It it was not a spur of the moment. But they did it, and then they announced to their family that they had gotten married and saved a lot of people a lot of expense and saved themselves a lot of expense. So let's talk about some specific money issues. Let's talk about uh, pre-marriage tips. The most important thing that any couple should do as soon as you're engaged, for example, is you really need to have the money discussion. And you need to talk about um, money in many ways – I have to say this very slowly. Money in many ways is more important than sex because if you have disagreements about money, um, they're going to be hard to fix. Um, Other matters can be more readily taken care of, I suppose. (laughs) But money is a huge issue. And newly married couples have a tendency to buy things um, more than what they should spend money on. Uh, For example... Uh, they'll go out and they'll buy a house or they'll buy all new appliances or they'll buy a new car and they have a tendency to charge up debt. And you really need to resist that temptation, that tendency. But uh, money issues are the number one cause of stress in a marriage. 
period. There's no other way to say it. So one of the things you need to do if you're thinking about buying something and going out and spending a lot of money on furnishings, sleep on it. And you'd, you'd really be surprised at the number of purchases you don't make if you will sleep on something. Secondly, uh, set a limit on how much money you're going to spend on a purchase. Thirdly, have a joint account. Now, I know lots of people that the husband will have his own account, the wife will have her own account. And when you do that, it's much easier to spend money because it's your money in your account. You don't think about it. If you have a joint account, then you're going to be able to see what each other is spending, number one. But you're also going to talk about purchases. You're going to sit down at a table at night and say, well, should we do this or can we afford that? Uh, So have a joint account. And the kinds of things that typically you want to spend out of a joint account might be uh, rent, mortgage, houses, cars, childcare, utilities. It's important for a couple to outline a monthly budget. The one big word that we talk about all the time on MoneyWise Show is you need to have a budget. You need to have a budget for retirement, for living expenses, for saving money, but you need to have a budget when you're first married as well. You want to have a shared vision. You want to have a shared account. You don't want to have secrets. uh, And you want to discuss your finances. You'd be surprised um, how much you can irritate your partner when you don't tell what you're spending your money on. Or if you come home with something new, and it's obviously something new that you've bought, and you haven't discussed it ahead of time. Um, Investing is another important area. And then you need to have an emergency fund. Uh, What you you have to remember when you're getting married is that you're merging two different lifestyles. And as I said, one person can be a spender and one person can be a saver. So here's the most important conversation you can have when you're about to get married. Not where's the wedding going to be or how many guests should we have or what kind of reception should we have. Those are little details. The most important discussion you can have is let's talk about our finances and how we're going to manage and merge our finances and make sure that we're going to be on the same page. Um, And that joint account can be used for your health insurance costs, your car insurance, and everything of that nature. But you really need to say, what are our financial goals? Um, We're young, we're getting married, but what about retirement? What about children? What about how many children do we want to have? And that's going to cost money. And how will we provide for their education. Mm-hmm. I've been working with young couples for many, many years, and I've seen situations when they say, we just found out that we're pregnant and we're going to have our first child and we want to start setting up something now for college. And these are the smart people who will plan sure. ahead of time. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about um, a prenuptial agreement. Um, should you have a prenuptial agreement? Should you not do a prenuptial agreement? Probably only 5% of couples do a prenuptial agreement. And um, it's something that is often done more often in a second marriage situation, particularly if there are children from a prior marriage. And now there's concern to make sure there's going to be some inheritance left for the children from the first marriage. And, um, you know, there's a gentleman named Cesar Pavisi who once said, no woman marries for money. They are all clever enough before marrying a millionaire to fall in love with him. (laughs) 
There's, there's lots of saucy uh, quotations about marriage. <laughs> when I when I did some research on marriage quotations, I can't tell you how many pages and pages and pages. I think I have 50 pages. So <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a big subject. Yep. But, you know, marriage is an important uh, institution, as we were talking about earlier. And um, uh, Rita Rudner once said, I love being married. It's so great to find that one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's in the area of being oh. facetious. And I, I read one recently to uh, Deb in our office uh, from Benjamin Disraeli. And he said, it destroys one's nerves to be amiable every day to the same human being. <laughs> so and I'll give you one more and then I'll, I'll move on. Um, this is uh, Phyllis Diller's housekeeping hints. <laughs> Never go to bed mad. Stay up and fight. <laughs> Phyllis Diller. She was terrific. Yeah. I do want to remind people that um, at USA Wealth Group, which sponsors this program every week, we have a website, and it's uh, usawealthgroup.com. You can sign up for free reports on that website if you want to. You can read our blogs and learn more information. You can actually listen to the radio show. So if you have missed a prior radio show that you want to listen to, we post all of our radio shows onto our website. And so you can listen again. So it's usawealthgroup.com. And um, let's go back to prenuptial agreements. Okay. Here's um, eight reasons why you might want to get a prenuptial agreement. One, you're much wealthier than your partner is. So if there's really, truly uh, inequality in the marriage in terms of wealth and money, um, you might want to consider that. Number two is if you earn much more than your partner. Um, some states can use a prenuptial agreement in that instance to limit the amount of alimony that's payable. And we don't go into marriage thinking about failure. We go into marriage with stars in our eyes. Um, but it is a fact that half of all marriages end up in divorce. Um, number th three reason, you're remarrying. I think this is probably the most important reason to consider doing a prenuptial agreement. If it is a second marriage situation, and if one or both have children from a prior marriage, that's a very logical reason to do that. And sometimes I've seen situations in which both husband and wife have significant assets, and they just both want to make sure that their own assets will go on to their own respective children. Um, what about if your partner has a very high debt load? You may want to sign a document, such as a prenup, um, because you don't want to be responsible for those debts. You won't necessarily, but sometimes a prenuptial agreement will solidify that fact. What if you own a business? That might be another case in which you have other people in mind to end up owning that business and your spouse is not going to be involved. Or if you have concerns about you have an estate plan and you don't want your spouse to overturn your estate plan. And um, if you're much poorer than your partner is another reason. And um, if you plan to quit your job and raise children, then you may want to think about a prenuptial agreement in those circumstances because if you think about it, let's say you've got two spouses of relatively equal earning power and one spouse, the woman, is going to stay home and take care of the children and raise children. That might be a five or ten year proposition and she would be giving up her entire earning ability during that time. And so she perhaps ought to be compensated for that 
in the event that there was a later dissolution of the marriage. So quitting your job is going to negatively impact your income and your wealth, and it might be a way to ensure that later on there's going to be a more equal division of assets. So just some things to consider about a prenuptial agreement. Um, I will say that a prenuptial agreement is not just for very wealthy people. It can be people who have more modest means. Uh, it can be for ordinary people. There's a lot of stress, a lot of legal fees involved in a divorce. Um, it's not for everybody. Right. Um, but um, sometimes people think that it's an unromantic thing to do, not necessarily. If you sit down and talk about your future and your finances and your expectations and what your relative earning powers are and what is your philosophy about accumulating money and so forth. And although courts will sometimes invalidate a prenuptial agreement, generally they will be honored. Um, it does require, by the way, that each person have their own separate attorney representing them. It also requires full disclosure. So if you are much wealthier, wealthier than a spouse, um, don't assume that you're going to hide something because you don't want them to know what you really have. Mm -hmm. If you don't do full disclosure of what all of your assets are, and then later the marriage does become dissolved, and it turns out you didn't reveal everything that you had, then that prenuptial agreement will be totally invalid. You won't be able to enforce it. So full disclosure is required, has to be in writing, and you can't just give it to somebody immediately before a wedding and say, oh, I, I want a prenuptial agreement, because then there's an element of duress involved, and there won't be, um, it won't necessarily be a valid agreement if you do that. So we're going to, um, if anybody wants more information about the pros and cons of a prenuptial agreement, uh, we can give you any number of pieces of information. We can refer you to uh, Tenney, uh, Attorney Tenney Lance at Lance Law, Inc., or Attorney Michael Coleman. They both have experience drafting these agreements and would be happy to answer your questions. So it's not for everybody, but it can be very helpful sometimes to uh, clarify things. So let's go back and talk about weddings because weddings are lots of fun. Um, some people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in getting married at all. We're just going to live together. I've seen more people recently in, in my personal circle of friends and acquaintances that are getting married after having been engaged for 10 years or seven years or living together for 15 years. Um, I know a gentleman that uh, uh, I met with about three months ago. And he's worth a very significant amount of money. He's been living for 25 years with the same woman for all practical purposes. They're a couple. I mean, obviously they're finally thinking about getting married and, and, putting it all together. And, Bravo. Uh, so, and sometimes older people um, don't want to tell children that they're not married. They might be living in Florida and living with somebody else and create the impression that they're married when they're not. But uh, sometimes it's not a good idea for older people to get married again because unless you're doing it and there's going to be a money element involved, if one spouse has to go to a nursing home later and you're a married couple, the assets of both couples, of both individuals, are available to the nursing home. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. But we're going to talk more about who pays for the wedding, what kinds of things should you pay, traditionally who pays for what, 
What's your wedding budget? We're going to talk about the marriage penalty. And we're going to talk about why people get married in the first place. And we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for listening to Money Wise Radio with Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group, your financial and retirement guide. And remember, this is a very important time in your life to think about the mission of USA Wealth, and that is to help protect your family and protect your money. Nothing is more important than that, whether you're married or not, but we are talking about marriage. Uh, let's go right back to Ray now. Give us more marriage wisdom. Well, a few marriage tips, but we're going to talk specifically about some finances because, um, you know, marriage is just a very important financial part of people's lives. Uh, first of all, you're going to live together with somebody for the rest of your life or for a very long time for, uh, for some people. And um, people marry for numbers of reasons. Uh, Somerset Mom, W. Somerset Mom, a famous English writer, once said, a man marries to have a home, but also because he doesn't want to be bothered with sex and all that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you have to think about that one for yeah. a minute. <laughs> and um, So there are lots of interesting quotations about um, marriage, but... Um, you, I, I took you by shock on that one, Phil, didn't I? <laughs> Look up. Hmm? <laughs> uh, but, you know, like good wine, marriage typically gets better with age once you learn to keep a cork in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Max Kaufman once said, I never knew what real happiness was until I got married, and by then it was too late. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, anyway, we'll come back to some of those interesting thoughts. How do you plan to pay for your wedding? It can be an expensive proposition today. I just had a gentleman in my office last week. We've done a lot of work with him. He has a great sense of humor. His daughter's getting married in June over in Swansea. They're having the reception at the Venus de Milo. And um, they're having 150 people come. That's a pretty large wedding. When you're paying for that many people, and he said, how much money do you think I'm going to need? And I said, how much money do you have? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, weddings can be very, very expensive. It's not unusual for people to spend anywhere from twenty-five to $35,000 on a wedding today. Amazing. I know it's, it. it's a huge amount of money. And the, the average wedding, I think, is around $28,000. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. So let's talk about some strategies and how do you pay for the wedding and who should pay for what. Um, well, here's some ways you can save some money on weddings. Don't do a wedding in June. Do a wedding in January. Do it in off-peak season. It's much, much cheaper to have a wedding in December or January than it is in the summer or the fall. And it makes sense. And talk to some caterers and ask them. Um, Find out how many guests you're going to be inviting to the wedding. Make a budget beforehand. Don't just say, oh, we've got to have all the cousins. We've got to have all this. We've got to have this many people. And 
figure out what your budget is going to be first, and you have to trim down the budget wedding. Sometimes people are grateful not to be invited to a wedding because they don't have to buy a gift. Um, open up a separate account just for the wedding costs, and then that way you can pay all the expenses out of one account. When you need a transfusion, you go ask for some money. <laughs> But it can be very expensive. But you can go to the bank and have a separate savings account, primarily for wedding funds. Um, put money into that account and pay all of your expenses from it. Talk to your friends and family. You don't necessarily have to have a wedding planner, but that can be a useful thing to do. But you have to be very frank about how many people do you really want to invite, really need to invite to your wedding, and what kind of a budget do you want to have. Um, yes, you can hire a wedding planner. Sometimes that will cost you extra money, but they're going to know a lot more about discounts and deals. They're going to want to know about which disc jockey is going to be less expensive or more expensive. And boy, it takes a huge amount of work. Consider having a credit card just for wedding expenses. Um, American Express is a good example. Uh, you can earn points by paying for your expenses with, say, an Amex credit card. And if you do that... Um, it also gives you a little bit more time to pay the bill if you need to do that. Um, sometimes you can create a payment plan with your photographer, your caterer. Find out what they have to offer. So those are some preliminary tips. But you have to start out with a budget. And don't go overboard. And boy, nobody's going to pay attention to this advice. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Bottom line. True. So, Phil, do you think marriage is a good investment? It is. It's okay. a very, very good investment. Well, it's an investment in your in your health and in your sanity. Uh, married couples uh, tend to live longer right. than people who are single. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of intangibles. Uh, if you happen to be married to a good partner um, who is supportive of what you're doing in your job, your career, understands when you have to work late or whatever it is, that's very important. And, you know, we share a lot of tasks in marriage, don't we? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Whether it's taking care of kids, taking care of chores, taking care of households. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten up early in the morning when I knew my wife had to travel someplace on business, and I just go out in the, in the car, her car, and check her gas gauge. And if it's low, I'll make a quick early run down to the gas station, fill it up with gas, save some time for your partner, you know, do those kinds of things. So it can be very beneficial to your health it's not necessarily a good financial investment. You know, in, in 2008, uh, which is a little while ago, seven years ago, the average uh, cost of a wedding was $28,000. So if you took that twenty-eight dollars or $30,000 that you're going to spend on a wedding and you put it into an account where it's just accumulating for you, um, like I said, you can have well over a million dollars. So there Incredible. is a cost to the wedding itself. And I, I do believe that marriage itself is a good investment. Um, you can also eat leftovers, <laughs> and you can share a meal in a restaurant. I mean, there's lots of ways you. it's easier to save money when you're married than when you're not. We'll talk about the marriage penalty later. But you must have this uh, premarital money talk. So I have to, I have to correct myself here. I mean, I, I want to be careful what I say so I don't get... Fresh on the radio. This is premarital talk we're talking about. Uh -huh. So, but you really need to have this discussion 
and I can't emphasize uh, that enough. You can actually insure your wedding. You can oh, insure sure. your wedding dresses. There have been stories recently where there was a wedding store, wedding dress store in Boston that had a fire and burned, and everybody lost their wedding dresses. Mm -hmm. Well, you can have insurance for something like that. Or the place that you're going to have the reception closes up all of a sudden. Yes, and that has happened, and sometimes with Many people's times. deposits. Yeah, that's happened a lot. And sometimes they'll have your deposit. So if you're going to have a, rep, uh, a reception at a reputable place, that's very important. And it's a good reason to insure. Mm. But in any event, um, when you get started planning your wedding, first of all, you make the announcement, and then you sit down with your fiancé, and you make the uh, financial discussion, which is the most important thing. Then you have to rough out the timing. Uh, don't expect to get married in 60 days unless, you know, there's a need to do that. Um, uh, recently, I've talked to uh, somebody in my community uh, who is uh, participating in helping in my daughter's wedding, and she just got married recently. And... Um, his daughter has also decided to get married. She's been engaged for seven years, but suddenly decided she wanted to have a, a, a summer June wedding and gave the parents like 45 days notice that they're going to get married. So talk about scrambling. It's really hard to plan in that kind of a time. Get organized. Um, I will say that my daughter was extremely organized. Um, notebooks and computer lists and computer schedules. And I've never seen anybody more organized now, if we could take all those skills that went into planning a wedding, think about this. Typically, it's the, the woman who's going to be doing this. And take all those organizational efforts and put that into a business or a job. Boy, there's nothing in the world that can stop these, these ladies, really. And I don't mean this as a sexist remark, but the organizational detail that goes in is incredible. Mm -hmm. Figure out your venue. Where do you want to get married? Um, destination wedding, local wedding? It's going to be a lot easier on your pocketbook and on everybody who's coming to the wedding pocketbook if you don't have a destination wedding. They're lovely and they're fun, but very, very expensive. Where do you want to have your reception? Do you want to have it catered? Do you want to have it in your backyard? Do you want to have a barbecue? Do you want to have it in your church? Um, when I got married eons and eons ago, we had a very simple reception in sure. the church, in the church hall. Right. And people contributed food. And I would be willing to bet that we didn't spend, except for the wedding dress, I'm not sure what that costs, mm -hmm. but I bet that wedding didn't cost $1,000. Really? Yeah. I'd be really surprised if it did. It cost us $4.95 a head. Walmart? Nope. <laughs> this was at Gaudette's Pavilion. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the... Four ninety-five a head for a half a chicken and vegetables, family style. <laughs> wow, is it amazing? And it is amazing. And yet, you know, we're still married, aren't we? So yes, you don't have are. to have these big fancy parties. <laughs> wow. Um, I can also remember that the uh, wedding gift that uh, Tendi and I received from her parents was a living room set. It was a couch with removable cushions, um, two chairs, two tables, and two lamps, and a coffee table. Yeah. And it cost $229. <laughs> we got ours free. They were secondhand. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone pitched in. <laughs> and boy, compare that to today, huh? 
But you know, some of the biggest expenses today are going to be the photographer. Only now you don't just have a photographer, you have a videographer. So you've got people running all around with cameras, and, and then you've got musicians, and you've got musicians at the service, and then you've got a DJ for the reception, and then you've got flowers, and you've got a wedding cake, and then you've got tips and tips and caterers, and or unless you're in a big restaurant. So it's, uh, it's big bucks today. Uh, and tame your guest list. You know, really think about before you start telling everybody that you're getting married, sit down real quickly and decide how many people you're going to have because mm -hmm. you don't want to go be telling everybody under the sun that you're getting married if maybe that's somebody who's expecting to go to the wedding, but you're not planning to invite them. Well, in that case, have a nice party after the wedding at some point where you can invite your those people, the guests that could have been invited to the wedding, but instead have a nice party for the newlyweds, and that's a way to get away from inviting them to the wedding that's going to be small. You know? That's a nice idea. I like that yeah. idea. Yeah, that's a very good idea. But um, budget is extremely important. Separate account is very important. Tame your guest list is very, very important. If you, if you can do some of these things... Um, you know, there are so many places online now you can order uh, wedding invitations or you can design your own on the computer. You can print them. You can order them. And that can be much cheaper than going and having, you know, little cards for the table, oh, yeah. uh, little menu cards uh, for the table. Um, Catherine did all that herself. Amazing. And she yeah. designed it all. And, yes, she went to a, an online place and got it all printed. But you can save a lot of money if you do that. Um, so who pays for, for what? We know there's lots of things to pay for. Let's talk about some traditional things. You know, it's still uh, very popular and traditional for brides' parents to pay for the wedding cost as much as possible. It's not so common when people are out in their professions and businesses working or if they're older in life, then they'll pay for part of their cost as well. But if the bride's parents pay or pay a significant part of it, then you don't have to dip into your own expenses mm -hmm. to pay for it. Um, but then you're going to have the parents or whoever's helping to pay the cost expecting to have a lot more decision-making because they're fronting the cost. Or you can have a headstrong young bride who's going to make the decisions anyways and have people pay for it. Um, but... I think more and more today with the cost of weddings, a lot of people are contributing. Um, and so the bride's parents may pay for a portion of it, but the bride herself and the groom, they may pay for part of the expenses as well. And um, we did a little bit of that as well. So typically the bride's going to pay for the groom's ring, a wedding gift for the groom, uh, gifts for the bridemaid, bridesmaids, bridal luncheon party, transportation for the bridal party to the wedding. Boy, the things you have to spend money on is amazing. The groom is going to pay for the engagement ring and the bride's wedding ring, um, a gift for the bride, a gift for the groomsman, the marriage license, the officiant's fee, whoever's doing the service, um, the wedding clothing, the honeymoon, the boutonnieres, the bridal bouquet, the corsages, the transportation for the groomsman. Whew, that's a lot. And then often the bride's family will pay for an engagement party, if you're going to do something like that, invitations, a wedding planner, a wedding dress, 
getting the bridal party transported to the wedding venue. It goes on and on and on. <laughs> endless. The list is endless. The reception. The reception is the really big expense, the ceremony. And the groom's family historically, traditionally, will pay for the rehearsal dinner, and um, which is also much less expensive than the reception itself. And they'll often, often pay for the alcohol as well. Um, guests typically should be expected to pay for their own clothing. So if somebody's in a bridal party, whoever's been privileged enough to be invited should be paying for their own dress um, and all that sort of stuff. But the list goes on and on and on. You know, when um, my son Peter got married, um, he got married uh, outdoors at Ned's Point in Mattapoisett. But the reception was in our backyard with a tent and a caterer and porta potties and it just goes on and on. Yeah. That can be almost as expensive in the caterer as sure. uh, doing it elsewhere. Sure, of course. But the really big expenses today that people don't anticipate are having a professional photographer. Um, that can be several thousand dollars. A videographer can be several thousands of dollars. And create a budget. Very important to have a budget and very important to have a separate account and very important to try to keep your guest list down. Should you take out a loan for your wedding? That's not generally a great idea. If you can't figure out how to finance it without borrowing money, um, then you're going to start out marriage with debt. And it's more important, I think, that people have a more modest wedding than taking out a loan for a wedding. Um, Skip a limo. Do you really need a limo? Do you have people who can, you know, have halfway decent cars that can transport you? You know, skip the limo. I'm sorry for the limo drivers who are listening, <laughs> but uh, it can be really expensive. A reception is going to be typically about 40% of the cost of a wedding. Honeymoon is going to be about 15% of the cost. Uh, photography, videography, another 10, 11%. So the costs really add up. Now, what about the marriage penalty? You know, some people would say, well, getting married itself um, can sometimes be considered a penalty. But uh, I don't think so. I still think a, a wedding is very important, and, uh, and it's a special day. It's most important for the bride. Um, oh, oh, we don't want to forget the hairdressers and the makeup artists who perform miracles. Um, all that's necessary to pay for as well. So the costs just are these things that you've never even heard about or thought about uh, for cost. And in any event, um, married, married life teaches people uh, very invaluable lessons, like you know to think of things far enough ahead of time and not to say them. Hmm. You have to have a lot of tact when you're married, don't you? Yes. And there's an old Scottish proverb that says, never marry for money, you'll borrow it cheaper. <laughs> and then Tommy Manville, he was a baseball player, wasn't he? I'm not sure. The name is very familiar. Tommy from, uh, Manville said, she cried and the judge wiped her tears with my checkbook. <laughs> yeah, in any event, uh, let's let's... Talk about the marriage penalty because the marriage penalty has got nothing to do with being um, the marriage ceremony itself. What the marriage penalty has to do with is taxes. Right. And so this doesn't apply for most people. 
unfortunately, but it refers to the fact that you can have a higher tax situation from some married couples that would not be required by two otherwise identical single people with exactly the same income. Yeah. And um, it's little understood, and many people ultimately will say, well, I'm just not going to worry about it. You know, getting married is going to be more important, whatever it is. But the government has done some really funny things in our tax code, Mm -hmm. and the marriage penalty is one of them. Um, One source of the marriage penalty is the fact that um, for tax purposes of... um, we have something called income splitting. So if you have a marriage couple, married couple, one's earning money and the other one is not, they're allowed to treat the income as being split between them for normal income tax filing purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet if two people who are married file separate tax returns, they're not going to come out ahead usually. So the marriage penalty is kicks in at certain levels. So... Uh, at what income level does the marriage penalty kick in? It's not so much the marriage uh, uh, income level itself is the combination of factors of one is a high income earner and another is not. So ironically, if you have one person who's making a lot of money in the marriage and the other person who's making money but very little, often they're going to end up paying a marriage penalty. Whereas if you had that same high income earner Right. who's making a decent income, and the spouse is not working at all, they may not have the marriage penalty. Hmm. And it's a real peculiarity of the tax code. So the ideal uh, income variations to avoid paying the marriage penalty tax are the following. One, if you have a total income, um, adjusted gross income, below $110,000, and you're able to claim a child tax credit, that's a good situation. Or... If you have somebody who has a very large uh, adjusted gross income, let's say it's a few hundred thousand dollars, not too many people are in that category, and they marry somebody with zero income, they're probably not going to pay a marriage penalty. Or if you have a combined income that's not more than $170,000, that's another scenario where there won't be a marriage penalty. Mm -hmm. But... Think about how confusing it is, what I've just recited and told you. So the best thing to do is if you happen to have at least one person in the marriage who's earning a fairly high income, you really ought to consult with an accountant or a tax advisor. And let's run some numbers and let's take a look at the scenario. So do you still want to get married? You know, it seems really kind of absurd to have the government have to pay the government more money uh, just for the opportunity of getting married. But it's now common for more people to have children without getting married. I know. Or to have children first and then get married later. Um, That's very common. Um, You know, and if you think about it, um, sometimes people will get married later in life because they want to get a larger social security check if their spouse should die before they do. Mm -hmm. And that's an anomaly also. But the government is smarter than all of us in trying to figure out these little wrinkles. So most people, what I want to tell you is you don't have to worry about the marriage penalty or the marriage tax. And um, this is the discrepancy that exists between single and married people who earn the same income. Uh, For most uh, Americans, getting married in the first place is more important than staying single. I want to finish today and talk about some rules for financial engagement. And 
this is not just for people who are about to get married. This mm-hmm. is for anybody. I don't care if you've been married for one year, 10 years, 40 years. You need to have some particular rules to follow. You need to agree that neither of you will make a purchase above a certain amount of money, $50, $75, without consulting the other. You need to agree there won't be any secret bank accounts. Um, you should have two yeses for all major financial decisions. You don't want to have one person saying, I don't care, my car's run down, I'm going out and getting a new one. You need two yeses to make that decision. Join your major finances together, budget, and follow your budget and review your budget. And we've got budget forms we can give you. And um, don't lose your money and don't forget not to lose your money. Rule number one, don't lose your money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. That's Warren Buffett that said that. I want to close today by simply telling people that the number one tip that I can leave all of you with today, and I stress this a lot, is to have a budget. Whether it's a budget for your wedding if you're about to get married, whether it's a budget for how you manage your expenses if you're already married or living together, or even whether you're single. Um, 95% of the people who come into my office have never done a budget. And they're concerned about whether they could retire, for example, or whether they can afford to get married. If you don't have a budget, you can't begin to figure it out. We're happy to provide you uh, free reports, um, free budgets that you can follow. Uh, We invite you to visit our website, uh, usawealthgroup.com. And if you have questions, call USA Wealth Group at 508-998-8858. We're happy to help you in almost any financial area of your life. So if you're getting married, don't get discouraged, but do some good budget planning first, and we can show you some additional tips on how to save money. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for listening to MoneyWise Radio. And remember, none of us can be an expert at everything, so let the professionals at USA Wealth Group help you protect your family and protect your money. Let their family protect your family. So until next Sunday morning, have a safe week, everyone. So long.